The madness continues. Westwood One, NCAA Radio Network. The Coach K Farewell Tour has one more stop. For a record 13 time under Mike Krzyzewski, the Blue Devils are going to the Final Four. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Friday afternoon here on ESPN Radio. One day away from the men's NCAA tournament. Kicking off Final Four weekend down in the Big Easy on Saturday. And boy, will it be a wild one. Happy weekend. Courtney Cronin, Amber Wilson kicking it with you on a Friday afternoon. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Right now we're going to head out to the Canty call-in line where Jim Spinarkle, CBS college basketball analyst, also played for Duke from 1975 through 1979, joins us to talk about Mike Krzyzewski's last stand. Jim, this continues into Saturday. It's been talked about all week. And I know Mike Krzyzewski made the comment that this is about the Final Four, not about UNC. But we remember the last time that these two teams faced off at Cameron Indoor Stadium UNC took advantage of a moment that was supposed to be about Mike Krzyzewski and all of the pomp and circumstance surrounding the head coach in his final home game. How do you feel like things shake out this time around, and are you buying into what Mike Krzyzewski was saying, that this is not about UNC and the rivalry whatsoever? Well, I I think, number one, uh, if you go back to uh, the game at Duke, it was interesting. You know, Carolina just spoiled the party, if you will. You know, they had the last home game for play of the seniors, the last home game for Coach K. Um, everybody participated except North Carolina. So I think that, if anything, was a wake-up call for the Duke team and the Duke players to be ready as this one goes uh, tomorrow because I was fortunate enough to call the, the Carolina-St. Peter's game uh, this past weekend, and North Carolina looked very, very good. They've been playing well, and just like all four teams in the uh, Final Four, they're on an uptick with the way they've been playing. Um, as far as Coach K saying, you know, it's not about Carolina, it's about the Final Four, um, I guess you could say that that's one way of approaching it, right? Um, the fact that we're here for, you know, the, it's not a pleasure trip, it's here to win two games, the Final Four, regardless of who we have to play. I don't think he's discounting or discrediting North Carolina in any way or shape or form with that kind of comment. I think he's just trying to maybe get his team to focus on the moment. But with that, it's hard not to focus on the moment with the Carolina rivalry. I mean, you'd have to be just uh, from another planet if you didn't recognize that there was an extra layer of, you know, an extra layer of uh, sauce on this one when Duke and Carolina play, especially in the first time in the NCAA tournament. We're talking about Coach K's comment. I want to get your perspective on some of the comments of the players in this rivalry as well, Jim. So take off your broadcasting hat, put on your player hat for me for a second, because Duke players have said that they're not out for revenge, that this isn't going to be a payback game. And UNC players have said that there's no added pressure based on this rivalry. I heard you say what you just said about Coach K's comments. What about the actual comments from the players? Is there any chance that these players don't feel a little something extra special because of this rivalry? Um, I, I, if I were if I were in their shoes, it'd be hard not to because, you know, they're next-door neighbors down in North Carolina. For me, for just for me, and I'm not speaking for the Carolina players or the Duke players, as a player, I would know for a fact that I'm playing against North Carolina. And 
there's a little it's, it's difficult because it's two diff, two different things here it's special beating north carolina and whenever you can beat north carolina and north carolina people would say it's special beating duke um whenever they can so would it be special to beat one another in the final four absolutely it would be but i think i think the mission going in is not to get caught up in the rivalry per se, but get caught up in the game plan and making sure that you're executing and not looking so much at the players or the jersey, but trying your best just to make sure you're executing um, on in tomorrow's game and not letting all that other stuff, if you will, get in the way of your execution and your preparation for a Final Four game. Now, this is a matchup of Blue Bloods all the way around. The first game of the evening, number two, Villanova against number one, Kansas, 6.09 tip-off on the East Coast. Then number eight, UNC against number two, Duke. So we've seen these teams a lot before at this stage, and maybe not against each other, but there's a first time for everything. I'm wondering, though, if we can kind of spin this forward, whether the road ends for Duke tomorrow night or whether they make it to Monday to the national championship. With Coach K retiring, could a coach on the other side of the Final Four in Jay Wright become the face of college basketball? Um, I mean, Jay is definitely one of the faces of college basketball. There are a bunch of guys that I think um, are very, very talented coaches out there. You know, you have Hubert Davis, you know, in his first year at Carolina is going to make a name for himself uh, one way or another and has this year. You know, Bill Self, Kansas's coach, has made a name for himself not only again this year, but just added a layer of, uh, you know, fame on his name because he's been so successful over a long period of time. So I'm not so sure the baton, you know, I don't know. I don't know if Coach K would say I'm the only coach who deserves to be carrying the, you know, the, wearing the crown or, the, or carrying the baton. But there are a lot of different coaches across the country who are very, very good at what they do uh, and will continue to do this. And, you know, it's just it's a marvel when you think about what Coach K has done and what this, you know, these two games could represent for him. Uh, Kind of like the true going away party, if you will. It was ruined by Carolina and Cameron Indoor Stadium a couple of weeks ago. But um, it's it's a fun storyline for sure. And and it's a storyline that. I'm sure, you know, it all goes hand in hand when you think about it, right? Coach K, I'm sure, wants to go out a winner because he wants to go out a winner selfishly for himself and his family and the university, but he also wants to go out uh, for his players and the, the university and the players, the way they all interact and the fans and the, and, the, and the alumni. So I don't think you can strip one from the other. I think it's all part of the package this weekend. And, you know, there's no way that anybody's going to try to – digest this game without thinking this is coach k's last possible one or two games it's it's the uh the rivalry of unc it's the final four it's all it's it's just a great package and i don't think you unpack it i think you just leave the package as is and you deal with it it could not have played out better for all of us uh, who are fans of college basketball jim spinarkle cbs college basketball analyst also former duke player on with amber wilson and courtney cronin here on espn radio so jim we've been talking so much and i by we i mean the entire country about duke unc that i feel like villanova kansas is getting overlooked villanova has been facing an incredible amount of adversity this season and of course kansas the lone one seed how do you see that game playing out um, I, I look at that as, you know, a, a game where I think Kansas has just a touch of an edge on this one going in because as good as Jay Wright is in terms of being able to coach and make adjustments and, and, and what have you, 
Um, I think just the fact that they lost more with that Achilles Achilles injury has to be a, a, a big um, strategy change for them because, you know, he's obviously, obviously Justin Moore is a terrific player. I mean, you know, I think he averaged about 14 points a game, second on the team in scoring. I was fortunate enough to broadcast a couple of games for them. They are really a tightly knit crew that play, you know, consistent basketball. I always use the expression of, of like a basketball game is five guys on a team. It's just like your hand. When you move your hand around, all five fingers move together. That's generally how Villanova plays when, when it's kind of like the hand moving. If one guy goes to a spot, the other four guys know exactly where he's supposed to be. So I look at that and I say, how are they going to adjust to not having more in the lineup? Because the, throughout the course of the year in the last three or four games, they don't go very deep. They go about two or so deep. So if you think about it, everybody has to move up the chain and and uh, and produce, and I just think it's going to be difficult. Now, if it was in the middle of January, I'd say, okay, you have a little time to really react to this, and you can fit people in and, and go, and you have a couple of weeks to get this all said and done. But really, as good as Jay is, I'm really looking forward to seeing how his team plays tomorrow because of this adjustment without having more in the lineup. The Wildcats began the season 7-4. and four. They make it all the way to the Final Four, a remarkable feat in itself despite the adversity that they have faced all the way to getting to this point down in the Big Easy. He is Jim Spinarkle, CBS College basketball analyst, joining Courtney Cronin and Amber Wilson here on ESPN Radio. Jim, thanks so much for the time. You're welcome. Enjoyed it and uh, enjoy this weekend. It's going to be a great one. Looking forward to it. Nothing better than college basketball happening down in the Big Easy during the first weekend of April. We've been talking a lot about Coach K's last stand headed into the weekend. Straight ahead, though, is tonight the last stand for the Los Angeles Lakers just grasping to those playoff hopes? We discuss next here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. So the Lakers are saying there's a chance after LeBron James and Anthony Davis were both upgraded to questionable for a key game tonight against New Orleans Pelicans. This is ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live over on ESPN Plus. She is Amber Wilson. I am Courtney Cronin, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance. So tonight is the most important game of the Lakers' season. Why, Amber? Because currently they are the 11 seed, if that's the thing that actually exists when you take a look at the play-in tournament and the overall bracket in the Western Conference. They are on a four-game losing streak. They were edged by the New Orleans Pelicans last Sunday to kickstart that losing streak after losing to Philadelphia a couple days before that. Then they go to Dallas, lose. They go to Utah and lose. And now they head back to Los Angeles, and they've got the Pelicans tonight. So New Orleans is currently the nine seed. They are two games ahead of both the Lakers and the San Antonio Spurs for that spot, but San Antonio slated into the 10 seed right now. So, again... The Los Angeles Lakers are on the outside looking in. This is where they've been for the majority of the 2021-22 season. It's been tumultuous. Uh, That's probably the respectful way to describe what this year has been like for LeBron James, who is still scoring at an unbelievable clip at 37 years old. But nonetheless, we might see him tonight, probably because he is chasing that scoring title. And there's a chance that Anthony Davis, after injuring the middle of his foot, 
right around the All-Star break, could be coming back tonight. Again, upgraded from doubtful to questionable. But is there any chance that this can actually breathe life back into this team at this point of the season where there's one, two, three, four, you know, six games left before they even would get to the play-in tournament, which starts on the 12th? There's a chance. If Anthony Davis is perfectly healthy, of course there's a chance. Absolutely something has to bleep, breathe life into this team. So why not it be on the back of Anthony Davis? And we have seen AD carry this team before, but we've seen it in such short snippets. Courtney, because he's never available. And so LeBron has to do all of it on his own out there. And that's really the whole problem with this team. Russell Westbrook has gotten so much of the criticism this season. And I have felt like it's unfounded, frankly. Not that I'm defending Westbrook in terms of his play, because it has very clearly fallen off. He's not the same player he used to be. But I think people are so upset about it, because we all should have known that that game wasn't going to age well. I think people are so upset about it because of the contract, more so than even the result of him aging and then sometimes looking like he has lost a step or, or five. With Anthony Davis, that's where I feel like the criticism should have been placed because if you're not available, you can't help your team. And he was supposed to be the guy. Westbrook wasn't supposed to be the guy. AD was supposed to be the guy. AD was supposed to be the guy that ends up taking over for LeBron. AD was eventually supposed to be the one so that LeBron could transition in his late 30s to being the two. And AD can't stay healthy at all. And so... If Anthony Davis can come back and he's healthy, then yes, of course, he could breathe life into this team. It's just hard for me to believe at this point, Courtney. Like, how many times are we going to do this this season? And right now, Brian mm-hmm. Windhorst has an article on the .com where he goes through, I was going to say oral history, but I guess really it's the written history of all of the drama this season with the Los Angeles Lakers in the Lakers' own words. So he's just going through a calendar of quotes from LeBron James and from Anthony Davis and from Frank Vogel over the course of the season. And this season, it starts out one way. It ends, or seemingly ends here, a very different way with a very different tune, and everybody's singing a very different tune. But it was only March 21st that James said he was having the time of his life. And now we're in a position where I think the time of his life is probably going to include not making the postseason. And maybe that'll suit him just fine, because he could take the summer off and enjoy himself and maybe have a little extra wine. But I think that's the direction that this team is headed. And you think about the uphill climb here. And I know I'm pessimistic about this. You and I talked about this last weekend on ESPN Radio going into this, in the midst of this four-game losing streak for the Los Angeles Lakers and thinking, is it really worth all of that to get Anthony Davis back when you might want to trade him? Like, we could potentially see a very similar scenario where it plays out like last year. He comes back off the injury right in time for the postseason and ends up getting hurt yet again, and LeBron James is left to do this all on his own for another time. Well, LeBron's chasing that scoring title right now in what is historically one of the tightest scoring title races in NBA history, and so he clearly has something to play for here. He's ahead of Giannis by, I can't really do the math there, but I think it's by .02 points. He Through the, all the games that were played last night, LeBron leads the league in scoring 30.13 points per game. Giannis right behind him after becoming the Bucks' all-time leading scorer last night, surpassing the mark set by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 11 points per game and then Joel Embiid and even 30 points per game that's a really tight race so clearly LeBron is chasing this scoring title with six games left he may get that but it still might not be enough for this team to end up making the postseason which is why I think that 
yes, Anthony Davis coming back, is it a great story that he fought his way through the season after dealing with this midfoot sprain and, you know, is trying to get back onto the floor? Sure. But it's too little too late. I mean, the climb that this team would have in the Western Conference, A, now, just to get into the play-in tournament, considering they were edged out by the San Antonio Spurs, who now hold the 10 seed that the Lakers had at this time last week. But beyond that, you look at the bracket here. You know, the winner of this play-in tournament game, let's say they get the 10 seed, ends up playing the loser of the 7-8 game, which right now is Minnesota and, and and the Los Angeles Clippers. You know, it's still such a rough road beyond that point. Um, So I don't know. I feel like this is probably too little too late, but it will be interesting to see if Anthony Davis does indeed take the floor here and what kind of spark that could provide this team going forward as they try and try and try and try to get into the play-in tournament. Straight ahead, the NFL's commanders allegedly used two books to track finances. We're going to get into that with an expert ESPN Radio. Washington Commanders head coach Ron Rivera said he is tired of his team constantly being in the news on the negative spectrum of things. Well, it's probably not too happy that this team can't seem to get out of its own way. This is ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live over on ESPN+. Plus. She is Amber Wilson. I am Courtney Cronin. And right now we're going to tap in with John Keim, ESPN Washington Commanders reporter, joining us on the Canty call-in line. Now, John, there's a story that came out from the Washington Post yesterday that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform is apparently looking into allegations of financial improprieties under Daniel Snyder's ownership of the Washington Commanders. There's a lot to unpack here, but I guess first I want to ask the question everybody's thinking, why is Congress getting involved with an NFL franchise's finances? Well, it's funny you say that because that was one of the things that um, the GOP spokesperson, Austin Hacker, sent me um, a statement this morning basically saying that, that the American people deserve better oversight from Congress. And so I think that's – but I think one of it is obviously they did not go into there looking for this. They were in there looking for the toxic workplace culture. And for them, it you know, if you're – on one perspective, it's about a bigger picture. It's not just about this franchise. I think we all know that this is not the only franchise that probably has some issues. And so, like, but on the other side, they, they are saying the same thing. Like, why is Congress getting involved in one workplace um, situation that some of this stuff would it be better to play out in courts? So I think it depends on your point of view with it. You know, do you see legislation being written off of some of these actions? And so I think that's and there are some people who do want that. And that that, that's their goal is to see workplace, you know, the workplace culture for females or or just workers in general be improved. And do you need to write certain laws or legislation to to help improve that, to deal with situations? That's partly why they are getting involved. Now, John, as I understand it, uh, the allegations pertaining to the commander's finances 
come came to light in recent weeks because that oversight committee reviewed something like 80,000 pages of documents right. and interviewed a bunch of witnesses. But the commanders denied knowledge of that investigation by the House Oversight Committee. Help me unpack that one. How would they not know that investigation was occurring? And is it too much of a logical leap here then to think that Maybe this is why they didn't want to be so forthcoming with all of those documents to begin with? I don't want to make too big a leap right now because I don't think we know enough. And part of it, I will say, like, there are a lot of people on the oversight committee who do not know about this. And, you know, and it's like there are only I spent all day on the phone yesterday talking to people about it and not many people knew about it. And so I even had one person felt like whatever, however, this information came out they felt like it was premature. So is it? I don't know. We don't know what's in there. And the fact that it hasn't trickled down to other oversight members is either suggestive that this is still relatively new or they just haven't found enough to then have to inform a lot of the other members. So I think there's still so much more to learn before we can start jumping to any sort of conclusions about what it was. Um, One thing I talked to somebody today about, like the NFL, the NFL audits every team every team. So like they've been audited by the league. So if, you know, if there's anything going on, they should be, they should be knowledgeable about that. But yeah, it was not widespread knowledge that this is what they were. If, if this is what they're looking into, it was, it's, that's, you know, a lot of members in the committee did not know this. So that's why I think I could see that the team may not know about it. You're listening to ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live over on ESPN+. Plus. John Keim is our guest here on ESPN Radio. He covers the Washington Commanders for ESPN's NFL Nation. And as a lot of these reports are coming out about what the House Oversight Committee is actually looking into, there's allegations that owner Daniel Snyder may have been cooking the books or using two different sets of books for whatever reason um, – with the to protect finances and maybe not to disclose some of the debt that this team is currently in. Now, that's obviously something that has yet to be uncovered and is a developing story here. But there was something interesting that came out of owners' meetings that you were at in Palm Beach, Florida, earlier this week, John, that I'm not really sure where things stand because Commissioner Roger Goodell said that Daniel Snyder is not currently involved in the day-to-day operations of the Washington Commanders, that it is his wife, Tanya Snyder, who is assuming that role. And then there's a report from the Washington Examiner, I believe, yesterday that said that he's actually back in the building and has assumed the role, again, of monitoring day-to-day operations as an owner. Like, What is the latest? What is fact from fiction here? And is there a chance that, you know, Roger Goodell putting that out there ended up expediting the process to get Daniel Snyder back in the building. Well, there, there's a couple of things. And one, um, he's really not been back in the building. There's only been a couple of times, but you can be involved without being in the building. So I think there have been, like I said, just a couple of times where he has been, but whether or not he's involved in daily operations, you know, I think it's his wife is a co-CEO, <laughs> you know, I mean, she's a co-owner. So like, it's kind of hard to imagine that they're not having some discussions about it. But um, even though I, I will like the problem, Courtney goes really back to last July when they, when the NFL announced the fine of the $10 million and they said that, you know, for the next several months, Dan Snyder would step away from the day-to-day operations that Tanya would take that over and Dan would focus on the stadium. 
But nothing was ever spelled out about, well, is it, you know, if you called it a suspension, they would call it up and say it's not a suspension. He wasn't suspended. So it was, it, there, this whole thing has been very ambiguous about, well, if you, what does this mean that he's stepping away from that? Is that his thing? Now, it, it was at his, at the time, it made it seem like it was his decision to do this. But the more we go on, like Roger Goodell, when he talks like, well, Dan is still not there and we'll talk about this you know, soon it's going to remain this way for the foreseeable future. We'll talk at some point. And it makes it seem like it's the league's choice to do that. But mm-hmm. we still don't have anything spelled out about what does that mean. And I know, like, you'll see some fans will say, well, here's a picture of him at the commander's name announcement. Doesn't say he couldn't go there. It not, you know what I mean? He was at games. It never said he couldn't go to games. It just said he was stepping away from day to, the day-to-day operations. But you know, Ron Rivera has talked about how he will still talk to Dan a couple times a week. And, you know, even with the Carson Wentz trade, well, you're not going to make a trade like that and take on that kind of salary without involving the owner. And, and he is, you know, even if it's, if you're talking to Tanya Dan, that's, he's going to be somehow involved in, right? So, but I don't know what the exact, you know, and that's one thing, honestly, Courtney, I wish I had asked that the other day of, of Roger Goodell, like, what does this mean? And he doesn't have this. Is there something spelled out that he can and can't do? Because the ambiguity means that it's like, well, is this allowed or not? We don't know. Yeah, going to be an interesting situation to follow here because of that ambiguity. Is he in? Is he out? Is he part right. of the day-to-day operations? Or is he doing this from afar because of all of the allegations that have come out surrounding this Washington Commanders team? And again, more news coming out that Congress is investigating allegations of financial impropriety uh, by the Commanders. Uh, so Congress getting involved, the NFL getting involved. Ron Rivera just wants to play football. He just wants to win games games and keep this team out of the negative side of the news and they certainly have not been able to do that john thanks so much for the time appreciate you jumping on thanks for having me on he is john keim espn washington commanders reporter for espn's nfl nation joining courtney cronin and amber wilson here on espn radio straight ahead we'll stay we'll stay in the nfc and look at the win total over and unders that came out on thursday this is espn radio and the espn app espn radio Courtney Cronin and Amber Wilson here on ESPN Radio. It is Friday, April 1st, better known as April Fool's Day. Now, Amber, I don't know too many people who actually like April Fool's Day for the reason that it stinks to get got. You know what I mean? Like to fall for a prank, to fall for a joke. And I can't say that I'm immune to it. I was on Twitter earlier today and I saw a tweet from David Njoku, the tight end for the Cleveland Browns. Good morning, all, he said. I have instructed my agent, Malik Kawa, and he puts his his Twitter handle in there, to seek a trade. I want my fans to know first. So because I live in the social media era where player empowerment oftentimes leads to players putting out messages themselves, his teammate Baker Mayfield uh, did that not too long ago in divorcing himself from the Cleveland Browns, I was like, oh my goodness, This Cleveland Browns team will not stay out of the news. Deshaun Watson a week ago. Now David Njoku's like, I'm out. And then a couple moments later, he tweets a gif. I'm not really sure who that is, and I probably uh, would get yelled at because I think it's from Seinfeld. And he said, April Fool's, baby, on top of his quoted tweet. So, yes, 
I didn't tweet it. I didn't retweet it. I just saw it. And I was like, you oh, my only, gosh. You holy thought smokes. about getting got. But I but thought about not. it. You I nearly got, got got. And that's why I hate April Fool's Day. I, I'm proud of you for not getting got. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of April Fool's Day either. I missed a flight this morning. I had a terrible morning. And I texted my husband to let him know that, hey, I'm not going to make it home after all before work. And it, it, he thought it was an April Fool's Day thing. You know, it was this an April Fool. I'm like, huh? Like, I totally forgot it was April Fool's because it's not even on my radar Courtney, because I don't have time for that nonsense. I do think, though, the tell there on Twitter was him actually telling you that he's seeking a trade because I haven't seen a player do that on Twitter. Like Baker, yes, he tried to break up with the Browns, even though I'm pretty sure it's the Browns dumping Baker. Nevertheless, uh, he tried to kind of publicly break up with the Browns, but he did so with, you know, a nice message to the fans, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. I don't know where my future goes from here. He didn't like come out and say, I'm seeking a trade. That might have been the tell there. Although, to your point, I could see that happening in 2022 with a player. It yep. wouldn't be outlandish if one of these guys went on Twitter and said, I want to put it here first that I'm seeking a trade. It's just probably not good business strategy. You should probably allow your team and your agent to pursue that before you put it out publicly. Does anybody like April Fool's Day? I don't think I know one single person who's like, oh, yeah, this is one of the best national holidays around. I've got my jokes and all of my pranks lined up, ready to go. I just feel like it's, you know, an immature thing. April Fool's Day can go away along with daylight savings time. Coming up next, should Giannis be the MVP frontrunner? We discuss next, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. ESPN Radio. Just under a month until the 2022 NFL Draft kicks off on Thursday night, April 28th. You can see all that coverage live over on ESPN and on ESPN Radio. We will keep you covered wall-to-wall throughout the three days of the NFL Draft. But in the off-season months leading into the season, we have dates released for mandatory minicamp, voluntary minicamp, and OTAs. We also see win totals, the over-unders, released for both the NFC and the AFC. So we figured now is as good a time as any to start talking about how many games Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to win with new head coach Todd Bowles in charge. This is ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live over on ESPN+. Plus. Courtney Cronin, Amber Wilson, going to bring in our producer, Shannon Penn, now to parse through some of these win totals starting in the NFC. Shannon, I assume we're going to start with Tampa Bay, considering I just teased that. Yeah, you would have to start there. It's it's a layup. So once again, we're going to look at some NFC win total over and unders. I'm going to give you the team. you got to tell me if you think it's going to be over or under that number. Courtney, we will start with you. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right now, Caesars have them at 11.5. Are they going to win over or under that number? I'm taking the under. I think 11.5. I know the Bills also had that. Those were like the top two teams. I think anytime it inches towards 12 games, like you can't go in and predict a team is going to be that successful, even if they are Super Bowl contenders. Now a team can obviously win 12 games, win 13 games. But when you look at the future opponents for this Tampa Bay team, they have to travel to Arizona, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Dallas, Carolina, the Saints, and obviously the Falcons. Those last three are are their division opponents, which they play every year. But I don't think that's a cakewalk for a team that ends up reloading and keeping Tom Brady, even though I said earlier in this show, Amber, that I don't anticipate a head coaching change affecting anything. I just think 11.5 wins and being able to run it back consistently is pretty difficult. So I'm going to take the under on this one. 
I'm going to take the over on this one because although I agree with Courtney that typically 11 and a half, 12 wins is a tall task, we're talking about Tom Brady at the helm there still in Tampa. And although I don't know what Todd Bowles is going to look like running that team, I do know what Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich are going to look like running that offense. They have most of their key pieces back, so I'm going to go over in a very weak division and frankly a weak conference at that. I I still say like 11 wins. I'm not taking the over, though. I think that they can get to, what would it be, 11 and 6, now 17 game schedule, still messing up my math on that one. I think 11 and 6 is a fair record. I'm just not taking the over. All right, who's next? All right, here we go. This one is for Amber. Dallas Cowboys. Caesars has them listed as 10 and a half. You're going to take the over or under? 10 and a half for the Dallas Cowboys, Amber. What you got? I'm going to take the under, and in part because the Cowboys just typically let me down when I take the over, so that's part of what's happening here. But also, I haven't been wildly impressed with their offseason. Obviously, they have lost uh, some key pieces here, letting guys like Amari Cooper walk. I know that they did a very good job keeping their coordinators in place and their coaching staff in place, so I know that was a very big deal in terms of the coaching carousel, but their offseason after that point did not impress me Uh, I'm gonna take the under on this one Courtney they do this every year right yeah I talked about them being part of like the core four if you want to call it that with the Bucks the Rams the the Packers maybe throw the 49ers in there and you can throw the Cowboys in there so there's like a 4a and a 4b whatever they always disappoint they did not make the moves needed in free agency to give me any sort of confidence that this is an 11-win team, so I, too, will be taking the under on Dallas. Next. All right, Courtney, let's move to the Green Bay Packers. Right now, Caesars has them listed as 11.5, win total for the Green Bay Packers. Courtney, over or under that number? They'll get the over. Because they always do, and they'll end up losing in the divisional playoffs. So this is a consistent 13-3, and 13-4 team in Green Bay. And yes, I know that Aaron Rodgers doesn't have Devontae Adams anymore. I'm still not convinced that that's going to be a division changer, considering how ugly the rest of the division looks. Minnesota's trying to run it back with the pieces that they had in place last year when they ended up missing the playoffs for a second straight season. The Bears are in an absolute rebuild at the very bottom, along with the Detroit Lions. So yeah, six games right there, you're probably favoring the Green Bay Packers in. So, of course, I'm going to take the over, but I'm still giving them an out in the divisional playoffs. This one's hard for me because I just preached about how if you have Tom Brady at the helm, then you take the over. And I guess I should feel the same way about Aaron Rodgers as well. I just don't like Aaron Rodgers isn't throwing to his favorite weapon anymore in Devontae Adams. And I also feel like that loss speaks volumes for that team in some way because it wasn't just about money and it felt like Devontae Adams wanted to be somewhere else and play with a different quarterback, which is strange when we're talking about a guy who had just won back-to-back MVPs in Aaron Rodgers. I do think that there still could be a move here this offseason, the Packers to make, and then I do expect them to draft a wide receiver. I think all of that would matter. But, man, I hate that receiving core as it currently sits uh, compared to last season's receiving core for them. So I guess I'll take the under. All right, last last and certainly not least here, looking at NFC win total over and under here on ESPN Radio with Courtney Cronin and Amber Wilson. All right, Amber, last team here, San Francisco 49ers. Right now, Caesars has them at 10 games. You taking the over or under for the San Francisco 49ers? Who's playing quarterback? 
Who's blocking for him? I, I mean, who's doing anything on that? No, I'm taking the under. I, I, I have, I can't, I can't have any faith in this team because I don't, frankly, also know what this team's going to look like. But if I'm assuming that Trey Lance is taking over at the helm, then I'm taking the way under because I have no idea what Trey Lance is going to look like as the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. And frankly, initially, I don't think it's going to look nearly as good as it did with Jimmy G. But even a Jimmy with Jimmy G at the helm, I'd be a little nervous about ten games. But certainly, uh, with that position in the flux there I'm going to take the under on this Courtney I will also take the under I mean this is a team that has the fourth like toughest strength of schedule in the NFC and yet we don't know who's going to play quarterback as we said we don't know who's going to be blocking for him yet obviously Vegas feels very strongly about the Niners roster and I wonder if they know something here and if they're projecting this with Jimmy Garoppolo as the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers so we shall see I mean certainly There's a lot that comes into play here. A good draft can change a lot here when these win totals come out again later in the offseason. I mean, you think about they went over five games when they drafted Nick Bosa a few years ago with their win total, Um, and maybe that can change. But, yeah, I still think 10's a little high when we still don't know who the quarterback is going to be for sure for the San Francisco 49ers. Straight ahead, we get back into the NBA, talk a little Giannis, now the MVP frontrunner. That's next, ESPN Radio, ESPN App.